Welcome back to A People's History of the Old Republic, episode 1.18, Yuzong Vong But Not Forgotten. I'm Kelsey, that's Luke, and joining us is Matt Ford of The New Republic, no relation to the expanded universe New Republic. Um, Before we dive into the topic, I encourage you all to read The Police Were a Mistake and really all of The New Republic's coverage of the calls to defund police. Um, But today, we are skipping right past the horrors of our uh, own legacy of violence and failed institutions, and instead diving straight into the Yuzong Vong War. Uh, Matt, would you like to set up with what the Yuzong Vong War was? Sure. Um, Well, the Yuzong Vong War was two things. Um, One was that it was a book series from roughly 1999-2000 to roughly 2003. Um, called the New Jedi Order. Um, and the premise of it was that this would be a chance for them to sort of move, while still keeping many of them alive, move away from the cast of Star Wars as we had known it in the original trilogy and move into sort of the, their, their descendants, their children, their students, um, and sort of the world that they left behind. Um, and then on the other level, the Yuzan Vong War is the story that they tell, which is a conflict between uh, the Yuzan Vong, an extragalactic species who have migrated through the intergalactic void for thousands and thousands of years, arrive at the edge of the galaxy far, far away where Star Wars takes place, and uh, begin launching an all-out holy war against it. Um, the Yuzan Vong are a species that's strange and unusual in many regards, and the chief reason among them is that uh, they are not part of the Force, uh, unlike every other living creature encountered heretofore. And so they pose a number of challenges, both to the galactic government, which eventually collapses, uh, but also the Jedi Order itself, which is forced to confront some deep questions about uh, the Force and its its role in the universe. And so um, the, the Yuzhan Gong War, and we'll, we'll get into to some of the details and the depths of it, but one of the, like, the overviews as um, someone whose reading of of the expanded universe novels was like very uh, stuck to like um, not quite the immediate post-war, right? But there was this whole thing where you like set up like, what does it look like to like be rebuilding the Jedi order? And what does it look like for the rebel Alliance? Now the new Republic to be uh, mopping up um, Imperial holdouts. And then Yuzong Vong as, as I understood, and I never like made it that far really in my own reading sort of just shows up, at the end of those arcs as this existential threat on a scale, like not really seen, right? It's like, why, what do you do when the, when the empire is gone? What is the villain that you have? What is the challenge for the government? It sounds like you just throw, um, forgive the cross around your pounds, but it sounds like you just throw tyranids at them. I mean, well, yeah, you know, this, the series takes place about twenty to twenty-five years after, um, after the the uh, Battle of Yavin. I think that's the st- still a standard uh, denotation for when time is marked. So it's about twenty to twenty-five years after the first Star Wars film, and what they had done in the in the books between then and then it was sort of like a Wild West, where you have a lot of different stories being told, both about the original trilogy cast, 
but also about various other like Jedi and semi Jedi who crop up, you know, people like Kyle Katarn, uh, Coran Horn, all these sort of figures who run around, um, you know, fighting the empire and then the Imperial warlords. And it was sort of just like, it was, it was a very open period of storytelling, but it was also very jumbled and very chaotic. And so what this did was provide, you know, you can almost see Lucasfilm going, you know, we need to establish some sort of semblance of order. And we also need to sort of reset things here uh, and create like a new paradigm. Um, You know, as I, as I said, this takes place in from about 2000 to 2003. And that's a very important point in star Wars because the prequel trilogy films have just started to be made. And so if you're authors and you're looking at like, okay, well, what parts of star Wars can I explore? Um, I can't basically go anywhere before episode four, because I don't know what George Lucas is going to do with that. That is no go zone. Uh, you know, we don't want to step on any toes there. Um, and I also can't really go too far back because we know that they're eventually going to make the, the Knights of the Old Republic series. Um, and so that really leaves only the future. And so it was sort of coalescing these, these various impulses. And the result is, as you mentioned, like a deep existential threat, um, you know, th- through the course of the books, uh, you know, they, you know, we all, we always thought Star Wars has a sort of like apocalyptism thing to it, where, you know, it starts with the destruction of Alderaan, building of death stars, doomsday weapons, things like that. And the Yuuzhan Vong take that to a whole nother level, uh, almost on a galactic scale. They completely destroy the planet of Ithor. Uh, you know, they, they sacri- mass sacrifice entire populations of, of worlds. Uh, when they reach Coruscant, they destroy it in like a very powerful two book arc um, that sees, you know, literally millions and millions of people die, uh, the center of galactic culture ruined, uh, and then they start terraforming it to match their their own long lost homeworld. Um, so it's, it's certainly, you know, one of the things that really stands out is that not only is it very, you know, bold storytelling, but it's, it's almost very brave. Um, in a way to, to sort of wreak this much havoc on your own fictional universe. That's one word for it. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know, like, you know, it's often compared to Star Trek, but, you know, imagine if Star Trek had the Federation destroyed and, uh, you know, the Klingon empire almost exterminated. And the Romulans were, you know, maybe there's three or four of them left. Uh, you know, that's sort of like stakes and thing. It's, it's impossible to imagine the Star Trek franchise doing that. But um, in this, uh, you know, they really they really go the distance. Don't I'm not a big fan of the use on the ball. The whole thing is just uh, it's just funny to me more than anything, I guess, is uh, is what I'd say. It's um I almost feel that they were like, okay, we, we have to do some kind of big, like, tie-in thing, and, you know, we just kind of have to nuke everything and start over again, and to me, it's just, uh, it's just really, it's just a really funny way to do it, and the Vong are, I don't know what the right word is for me, like, They're like engineered to be the perfect foil, and I'm just like, okay, can't see them in the forest, you know. And there's like, there's all this stuff, and they do the, uh, what is it, Yogan, Yogan's core or whatever, the uh, where they throw asteroids. 
Yeah, yeah. And, I, uh, I, you, real, I, you realize they do that to one of the planets early on, Serpadol. Yeah, Serpadol. Uh, and, and that's how they kill Chewbacca. You can almost mm-hmm. get a sense from the writers that, like, maybe we shouldn't have them doing that. Um, <laughs> they do that in the first few books, and then it's never mentioned again as, like, a tactic at all. Um, and so, yeah, like, I mean, I, and I think, you know, there were, there were certainly, uh, this is, this isn't meant, to, I, I don't mean to give, like, effusive praise for it, um, because I think there were some missteps narratologically in how they approached it. Um, one of the things that I was reading is that, you know, there's, there's a sort of, in the early books, the, there's a sense that the Yuzan Vong that you encounter have this sense of like sadomasochism where they're all sort of organized around ritual mutilation. And uh, you know, that's how they see themselves gaining strength and greater communion with their gods. Uh, they use something called the embrace of pain to torture themselves to get sort of a greater spiritual clarity. And it's all very like bizarre and they keep doing that throughout that. And I, you know, as I was looking up some of the stuff about this, it turns out that was meant to only be like a very particular trait for some of the Vong, but later authors misunderstood that. And so they applied it to the entire species. Uh, so instead of like having a very sort of like, you know, diverse species of all these different traits, suddenly they're all just like sadomasochists. Um, the other aspect was when they do, they do sort of fix in the, in the final book, um, was that the Yuzan Vong's reasons for invading the galaxy are never made very clear. Um, they're never, it's never, you know, it's not like, you know, cause you know, a war typically has some sort of cast as belli and there's not really any sense of like why the Yuzan Vong suddenly decided, Oh, well, we found this galaxy time to kill everyone in it. Uh, they have some like explanations like, Oh, you know, they really hate technology and everybody in this galaxy uses technology, which is like on one hand, fine. You know, it's a religious imperative, but on the other hand, it's like, couldn't you just like find five planets and just like rebuild your species? You know, it's there, there's, there's well, agility there. And, you know, I have to, well, no, that. it had to be the living planet. It had to be, uh, you use or I'm sorry. Is there Nama? So Nama Sakat. Actually that I think is one of the, if I could, if I could, you know, yeah. obviously this is a little arrogant, but if I could rewrite the trilogy or the, not the trilogy, the series, I would have introduced Zonama Sakat way earlier. Oh, yeah. So you mean so it didn't just seem like a very obvious deus ex machina? Yeah, because it, okay. it, <laughs> it, does a, it does a very good job of explaining sort of why this religious imperative would exist. This mythical living planet that's supposed to be their long lost homeworld. And what what they could do is set that up early on so that it doesn't seem completely bonkers. <laughs> Luke and the gang run out to the unknown regions. They're like, hey, guess what? We found a living planet. What a cool coincidence. Um, it, you know, I, I would know that the other thing, and this is, this is more of a minor critique is that I, I, I honestly, after reading 19 books of this, I, I don't, I never want to read another space battle. <laughs> another uh, what? They just, they just blend together. Like the space, space battle is, oh. <laughs> and I, 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 I feel yeah. for the writers. Cause if you don't have any like fixed reference points or anything like that, and you have to just describe proton torpedoes hitting Yuzan Vong's Yorick coral holes. Um, I, I just, I can't do it anymore, man. I just started skipping through those chapters. Oh, come on. That means you missed the, uh, the battle of, um, yep. That one. Oh, Ibak. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ibak. I mean, I, oh, well, I, to be more accurate, I skimmed them, but, but yeah, that was good. I mean, <laughs> And this is this is one of the reasons I actually sort of enjoyed reading it is that they do a very good job. I would say more so than the current sequel trilogy of delivering sort of emotional ties to the past. Um, 
in a very like respectful way. One of the best ones is when um, they're you know they're they, after after Coruscant falls, they need some sort of like big victory, and Admiral Akbar, who we all know and love from Mems from from Return of the Jedi, comes out of retirement and is like, guess what, folks? I figured it out. Here's how you can kick their ass. I'm going to take him to the deep core. I'm going to trap them or you're going to trap him because I'm too old and, and literally like dying in front of you uh, to do this myself, but you're going to trap him. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. They're done. And, you know, this is a very poignant moment. And uh, after they've been suffering defeat after defeat, major death after major death. And there's this wonderful moment where uh, they send a, the, the galactic Alliance, which replaces the new Republic sends a signal out to the entire fleet and says, uh, Akbar is back. Uh, and people on each of the ships cheer for like an hour straight. And that's a reference to uh, in, in World War II when Winston Churchill was brought into one of the Chamberlain ministries uh, during the middle of the war. And the Admiralty sent a message to the entire Royal Navy that said, Winston is back. Um, so I, I thought that was a nice homage to like sort of the, the, the stuff they were building upon. And there's other little moments throughout the series like that. Uh, I don't really know what to say to that. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know how to even approach that. So, what do you mean? Just, I don't know. I tying tying Akbar to Church, tying Akbar to Churchill is. Uh, that's definitely something you could do. Well, they were, um, I guess they were less you, woke in, in 2000. Um, well, I mean, I, <laughs> you know, it's just... But, but I, I see something. I think that, that, you know, I, if, if I can offer them a contrast, where in, I think it was Last Jedi, where he dies in that scene where, where Leia flows through space, mm-hmm. no, like, line even referencing it. They have to mention it in the, expand, in the sort of expanded novel form. Um and mm-hmm. a lot of fans found that disrespectful. They found it disrespectful that such an like an iconic minor character would just kind of like be snuffed out randomly and not even get a mention for it. Um, I think that was a nice contrast. And I think it's also. Oh, like, I mean, I thought. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things too is that like the people writing, right? We are one of the things we talked about on this a lot is like how canon is constructed and what the people bring to it, and the fact that like here's this neat story of like the British Admiralty without like thinking beyond what is the implication of a reference to the British Admiralty, but like that a institution would cheer for the return of a beloved commander seems a fitting juxtaposition, even if like, we're like pretty clear that, uh, Oh, this is a uh, sort of uh, a person with some deeply uh, rough legacy to say the least. Um, right, right. You, right. Can, you can almost feel the relief that comes from having somebody like Akbar back in that position when they've been getting their ass kicked like three ways past Sunday, um, you know, from the outer rim all the way to Coruscant, and now they're in. They're on. They're on Mon Calamari. I mean, they're they're bedraggled. They're sitting around this ocean world. They can't even like land, and suddenly they're oh, okay. Now now the big guy's in charge again. Uh, that would be pretty fun. But yeah, I see, I mean, in terms of constructing canon, probably like not the most necessarily like, I, I, it's a reference that probably would not fly today. Um, 
but then again, like I don't also don't think that's a reference that most people would pick up on. Like most people probably. I don't know. They uh, they had um, they had Mon Mothma do the uh, uh, New Republic Operation Papercut, where they just took uh, Imperial scientists and brought them over to the New Republic. So uh, <laughs> not papercut, paperclip. Um, so uh, I don't know. They they might still do that. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Sort of, in terms of like the moral paradigm that they have to wrestle with, a really fun thing is to watch them turn uh, Galad Paleon, who was who was yeah. in command, turn him into basically like a space John McCain. Uh, yes. Where he's like, yeah. I'm part of the Imperial Remnant, but I'm one of the good ones, <laughs> and I'm a little sassy, and if the Council of Moths doesn't let me fight this big war, I'm going to flip them off and take the Imperial Navy with me. Yeah, because he's like a He's like a, a super ex war he, hero um, from when he fought with Thrawn and then like keeping the Imperial Remnant together. And he's supposed to be like this like godlike admiral in terms of his skill and ability, like like Akbar is portrayed. I mean, they they're obviously very talented, you know, admirals and, and people, but. Akbar is kind of portrayed like Tarkin mm. and and uh, like Pelion um, in that they are you know st uh, strategic geniuses or at least um, you know heavily um, they're just better than the other the other people the other admirals that they go up against and. Um, so, like, bringing back Pelion is one of those things that, like, is it's interesting because he not only has that, um, that like, um, war hero mystique in the books, but like, fans really like Pelion. Like, I guess, I don't know. I guess they really, really liked him from Thrawn from the Thrawn trilogy, um, and so bringing him back is like a big deal for a lot of fans and. I, I don't know why, but people just really like Pelion. Maybe it's because, like you said, maybe he's just sassy. Maybe that's the thing. There's also a sense of like, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I, I personally like him, uh, even though he's like a space fascist. Um, but I, I think he brings sort of a, a, almost like a competency to it, that in in the in at this point in in Star Trek Star Wars. Is sort of rare, you know. the 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 New Republic's navy is is not doing well. Uh, the Imperials are all either sort of like blasé about this massive galactic invasion, somehow thinking they can just ride it out, um, or like actively duplicitous. And he's very clear eyed and perceptive about what's going on here. Mm -hmm. um, and more to the point, he's also ca very capable and able of of sort of executing on it. Uh, you know, when he, when, when Luke and the gang arrive and like, Hey, we need your help with this unknown regions thing. Uh, we can't tell you what it's about for like intelligence reasons, obviously. Uh, but if you could give us like a hand here, it'd be great. And plans like, yeah, go for it. Like, here's some, here's a star destroyer and some secret Imperial maps, like go to town. Um, it's, it's hard not to like the guy, uh, moral reservations about the Imperial project aside. I think one of the things too that uses well, the um, yeah, go ahead, Luke. Um, no, I was just going to say that uh, 
he seems like, um, yeah, no, I lost my train of thought. Go ahead. Go sure. Ahead. So one of the things that we, um, uh, all of Star Wars, like really, really heavily draws from the, um, cinematic and military conventions of World War II. Um, it's very, very like firmly linked to that. And like some of it, right, is like um just like like you have like your battleships and your carrier battles and like your your fighters, all that. But it's interesting that the um and it works sort of for like the back and forth when you have like your rebels and your imperials and your various reconfigurations of that um but to introduce a new force is um i mean obviously this is all within fiction but it feels like what would it be um if someone threw an alien invasion into like april 1945 and said all right humans figure this out right it's it's a um it throws a existential threat that operates and behaves in a very different way on top of like this already sort of um set pattern of conflict yeah it's it's one of the few things really in the star wars universe that um that uh is like just completely different than than everything else that we've seen it's um like it's uh it's not an, it's not imperial it's not sith it's not um jedi it's not republic it's not anything like that it's just something completely different it comes from outside the galaxy so it's not something that that they really um prepared for and so it's it, i mean it, it is an interesting concept and it's one um it, it's one that that i think at some in, at some points has done well but overall i think it just sort of becomes this um what am I trying to say? It, it it felt too much like a uh, big comic event, um, like a like Crisis on Infinite Earths or um, Infinity uh, Infinity Wars or something, you know, something like that. It it's just it it just it keeps going like that and i don't know maybe if it hadn't maybe if it had been like two or three books shorter or something like that but i mean by the end i just i don't care about most i don't care about most of the like the people in this like I'm like visibly rolling my eyes when Ganner Riso dies i'm like yeah 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 that was a little bit much yeah like he like he was like i'm going out like a diva and the force was like yeah baby you do that you do that shit yeah like we're all about like individualism when we're talking about the force no i mean like i like you know good for him but like he was like oh i finally get to go out like i wanted like a true hero like people are going to talk about me forever like uh, okay You wanted to die. <laughs> I mean, the most embarrassing like, part of that, I, I agree with your criticisms there, especially because um, the part that was really jarring about that was that uh, the Yuuzhan Vong start like worshiping him as a minor deity. Uh, yes. Or like some demigod, which is not only like weird on its own merits because he like gets his ass kicked and dies, but also weird because it contradicts every other aspect of their uh, spiritual beliefs that we have been introduced to so far. Um, which is intensely xenophobic, intensely anti-Jedi, 
uh, and intensely anti-technological. And he's like, and they're all of a sudden like, Hey, yeah, it's great that like he's cutting down people with a lightsaber. Um, it, it doesn't really work um, in that regard. Yeah. I think, I think what they were, what they were going for was that at some point, oh, and I'm sorry if my mic sounds terrible. I don't know what the hell's wrong with it. Um, I've been trying to fix it while y'all are talking, like just sitting here, like messing with dials. Um, it's, um, I think that the issue or the thing with, with, the Vong starting to like kind of worship the Jedi is that those Vong didn't really understand. Um, like they'd heard stories and they like, you know, they knew of the force from like 15, 20,000 years ago before, um, but before their galaxy was, was torn to shreds, but um, they, they didn't really know it. So like when they saw people out there who could use the force and, you know, could just like throw like, throw Vong left and right, you know, like you see Luke do, he's like just throwing like 10 or 15 of them at all times. It's, um, you know, I guess, I guess I kind of, I guess I kind of understood it, but I mean, you're absolutely right. It is completely contradictory to, to their entire stated belief structure. Although when, when has that ever really stopped anyone? So, right. I mean, and I, I guess I would distinguish that from uh, the one point I one point I did appreciate is, uh, you know, they have the caste system with the shamed ones at the bottom, mm-hmm. and they start worshiping the Jedi as a means to salvation. And I, I kind of appreciated the sort of like, obviously, and I don't think class politics is the right word for it, but um, sort of like complexity that brought to Yuuzhan Vong society, where they're not just all a race of like, you know complete sociopaths trying to, you know, mutilate themselves or whatever, that there is some yeah. kind of a dynamic that, Hey, maybe we don't have to live like this among them. And that yeah. we should find a way to remedy this. I, I thought, I thought I appreciated that. And I appreciated the sort of uh, challenges it brought to the Yuuzhan Vong themselves. And in, in the sense, they can explain why this seemingly omnipotent species is suddenly being able to be defeated by our ragtag band of heroes is that they're fighting a war on two fronts in many levels. Yeah, the I, I think the I think the caste system and case system in um, in the books is is really interesting um, is a really interesting way to to present it because because they do they they start having um, uh, internal internal problems and then. Um, at the end, it's almost like when uh, uh, war leader was Zavong, Zavong, Zavong like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that, there you go. Um, when they die, it's like it, a lot of the Vong are like, "No, we're good. I'm, I'm done with this. Uh, I'm done with this worship. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm tired of this." Like they, they basically like give up, and uh, not, not all of them give up, but. Um, you know, the, a lot of them just say, "No, I didn't. I'm tired of war. This this sucks." Right. Yeah. There's a tension constantly throughout the series, and I don't know if this was intentional on their part or not um, on the writer's part of of this sort of like very unified, cohesive set of beliefs that the Yuuzhan Vong supposedly share, and then constant examples where they just ignore it. Um, and I'm not sure if that was an intentional meta commentary on like sort of the fluidity of beliefs versus practices and 
uh, you know, the, the, the <laughs> extremism. I don't know if, if the new Jedi Order writers were like going that deep in the writer's room or if it's just like, you know, <laughs> storytelling. Um, there, there are other arcs that like, I, I don't think worked as well. I don't think we needed an entire book killing Anakin Solo. Um, I, I knew it was coming. And so I kept just being like, just skip trying to like skim getting to the part where he dies because it was just like all build up for no, no useful reason. Um, there, you know, Chewbacca's death. I actually did kind of like Chewbacca's death, not because I like Chewbacca dying, but because they did a really good job showing like the grief that Han went through that really paid like some good respect to their bond. Um, you know, it wasn't just like, Han was sad for a, a book and then like got over it. Like probably for about half the war, he's just like devastated uh, and sort of just doing his own thing. Um, yeah. And then one of his kids dies. And, and just, then one of his uh, kids dies. And so Leia gets to go through basically the same thing. Uh, obviously Han is devastated too, but he's sort of a little more accustomed to grief at this point. Um, see, I never see people always have this thing or not always, but I sometimes see people, talk about how like they loved han and leia in legends and to me like han and leia in legends are just like a couple that they were never ever going to split up like they just they weren't going to split them up because they didn't split up after one of their kids dies they didn't they didn't split up after chewbacca died they like they didn't that you know they were the like their marriage was never really in doubt, like, no. or anything like that. It was like, I mean, you know, Han, like, he, he seemed legitimately suicidal and it's very touching. Like, the way that it was done is very touching. But, um, but like, they just kept going through everything and everything. And, like, no matter what, they were just like, you know, the, their relationship is fine. And it always seemed to me that it was just something that, like, no matter what, they were just, they were always going to be together. And then like, when you get to the new stuff, like uh, the, the sequel trilogy, I don't like, I don't like everything in it, but you know, I thought, I always thought it was a lot better that um, it, it's a lot more uh, real to me that Han and Leia are shitty parents. Like that makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing, uh, nope. And I, I, you know, something that was really striking to me is, is how, I, I probably should have put this together earlier, but I never realized that that uh, Kylo Ren was basically just a Jason Solo knockoff. Oh yeah, I never yeah. And, that until this. Um, and it, for a while, there are a lot of things that make Ray a Jaina knockoff. Mm -hmm. um, she's like a weird combo of like Jaina and Bastila Sean um and luke a lot of luke um and yeah yeah kylo is a lot like that except oh god i can't stand i love kylo as a character i cannot stand jason solo i hated that character okay i'm really glad you said that because i found him profoundly annoying the entire time good okay good and that's go. really good to hear because i didn't know if like maybe i'm just mad at this punk ass teenager because he won't no. out like oh no how do we use the force? Should we use it offensively? Which would be an interesting, like, you know, philosophical discussion if you were, you know, 10 years before the Phantom Menace and holding a philosophical seminar at the, the temple. Um, but it's a little yeah. more bullshit when there's an extragalactic species trying to genocide your galaxy. 
Yeah, and I mean, like, the difference is, like, something that they never really, like, understood, or, I mean, they never really, um, I guess, went into is that when the Vong are attacking you, like, like when your entire species, not just your entire way of life, not just, like, something like that, your entire species, everything in your galaxy is at stake, using the force to like go on an offensive assault against them is not the same thing as say using the force to um go out and just hack down a bunch of criminals because you are mad or you're right. you know angry and you're giving in to the dark side you know like there, there never seems to be any realization of that in the series to me and that's something that i really liked about um the clone wars animated series um the the later one not um although i did love target costumes as well um is that he, um like there is an understanding that yes while wars do not make one great um sometimes you do have to do war because you have to protect people now unfortunately there's a realization that the republic was you know they were not protecting everyone and they were doing resource exp exploitation and the jedi got mixed up and all you know and but but at the same time there has to be like a justified war that the jedi have to be involved in and that has to at some point involve taking proactive action right. and taking the war to them otherwise innocents are just going to continue to die and that's an estimate to the jedi code too so i don't know maybe throw someone with a force every once in a while and quit whining Jason. I, mean, I, I was i kept waiting for for Jason's concerns for the metamorphosis and the sort of the more uh, you know, prototypical concerns you just allusion to that, like, why are we fighting yeah. this this new republic, which unfortunately, like the old republic, happens to be like pretty corrupt and incompetent. Um, why why are why are we risking our lives for these people? I mean, that doesn't mean we have to go like not help people, but like I, I kept waiting for Jason to reach that point, and he just never did. And while I really enjoyed, I think it was one of the highlights of the series. Um, the novel in which he's, he's that sort of portrays his captivity and his training by Verger. Um That I, I thought that well, I mean, it was well written because it was Matthew Stover. Um, but and then it's sort of like I don't really ever got the sense that Jason ever had like an epiphany. I think he just like said, "All right, well, I guess it's time to use force against these guys." I agree. No, I, I completely agree. It's very frustrating to me. Like, yeah. Yeah, I did like I did like some of the philosophical, not I guess not philosophical is not the right word, but metaphysical sort of debates that the they the, that the Jedi had, um, where they made the Yuuzhan Vong's immunity to the Force sort of like a, a genuine plot point, not just like a I mean not just like a, a trope to sort of bring the Jedi close down to Earth. They didn't treat it like Kryptonite. Um, they they made it a little more complex than that. Um, I like the idea where where Luke has this sort of epiphany with Verger's help later on that, uh, you know, maybe they're not just cut off from the Force. Maybe we just don't have an expansive enough understanding of the Force. Um, I, I like the sort of, like, challenge that brought to this idea that Luke was this all-knowing Jedi Master when, in fact, you know, he's very much just trying to build in some ashes and, and doesn't really have the sort of, of depth of knowledge that 
the previous Jedi Order had, and even then, like what they knew was kind of flawed itself. Um, I, I like the sort of the way they challenged his character in that regard. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I, I just don't like anything about new about Legends Luke. Like outside of Dark Empire, which I, I can't even remember if I actually like ironically anymore, or just <laughs> like, but um, it like. Everything about New Republic Luke just seems to be like his powers keep expanding, but like he never, he never stops being a rube ever. He's always a fucking rube all the time. He's always like so naive about things and, um, and he does that. He, he lets Jason fall and doesn't see it. Even though everyone around him is like, hey, hey, Jason is, th- there are problems here. And he's like, huh? What? No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. No, like, no, Jason's fine. Like, I, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Like, it's just. I mean, he kind of does the same thing to Jaina in this one, right? Where everybody's yeah. following the dark side. And he's like, oh, no, she's got her own path to make. She'll figure it out. And, and yeah, you're going to do and that. She does. Your, your yeah. nephews and nieces that like, really? Yeah, it's, I don't, and I, yeah, I don't, I don't understand it at all. Like, it's just, I, yeah, I don't get it. I I, I do wonder if, if, yeah. No, go ahead, Matt. No, go go ahead, Kelsey. It was, it was not a good, it was not a particularly strong enough thought. So one of the things (laughs) I think about, right, is that as this was written, right, the, we get the, um, we get the sort of um, not quite like God Emperor Luke, but you know, like the very, the very um, can do no wrong, can see no wrong Luke in the initial expanded universe stuff, right? And that's when uh, canon is being built with um, Return of the Jedi as like the last reference point. Um, a friend, the familiar reference point on which to like expand out. And when that the Yuuzhan Vong War is being written, at the same time that the prequels are being like, or well, I mean, Phantom Menace is out and the other prequels are being made. Um, that's an interesting thing of contrasting, like what does it mean for the Jedi to fail? And we get two kind of different versions of that, right? We get the prequel version where the Jedi were so afraid that something bad might happen that they sort of uh, stumbled into our um, setting in motion their, own demise and the news on wrong where we get a thing that could not be really anticipated by the force stumbling into it. And both of those um, give you a far more interesting version of Jedi on the other side of it, where what you have to do is you have to have a Jedi that like deal with the, the order having failed. Um, and if there's a strength to the sequel trilogy, I think it's um, that Luke is uh in the sequel trilogy is racked by failure and what it means to have failed at something like that um and i don't know if we get to see that as it sounds like that doesn't really stumble into the yuzang vong war um we get that maybe maybe they address that in dark nest i'm not familiar hardly uh, at all, I've, yeah. I've not read dark Nest. No. i've been trying to go they- in order um, I, I mean, the last book in this came out in like 2003, I think. And so they don't get to Revenge of the Sith um, before the new Jedi Order series is written. And so I, there isn't sort of that like all encompassing 
knowledge that we have now about sort of the factors that led to its fall, um, which I think is weakness. I will also, this is probably the point where I say that like, I am sort of a Jedi apologist. Uh, I do not think the order is as bad as like the new wave of criticism has made it out to be. I mean, sure. Like kidnapping kids, not kidnapping, but like taking kids from their families is probably not great, but, um, I, also I would argue that that's the only thing the Jedi do well. That's the only smart thing that the Jedi actually do, because if not, you just end up with the problem that always cracks up, that always pops up in X-Men, which is kids going through puberty um, with superpowers that they can't control, and then they just end up killing people. Um, and so I would say, like, I mean, obviously, like, there's a joke to be made about, yeah, they take kids. Like, it's funny. It's like uh, Monsters, Inc. They just take children. Um, but, uh, but, but, but no, the, yeah, the, the rest of the Jedi, no, they're, they're worthless. Um, Absolutely worthless. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't care if you, I don't care if you disagree with me at all. It doesn't matter. Uh, I, I think. I, what, I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said. <laughs> I, I respectfully disagree. I think they, they've been shown to play a valuable role as diplomats and peacekeepers that was undermined by yeah. the Sith, who exist, by the way, uh, and yeah. the reason for the Republic's collapse. Well, uh, no, I think, I, I think, I mean, I think you, I think I might not have said it well. Like, I was referring I, to really, uh, like the, the meta narrative, oh, yeah, yeah. like fandom these days that like, wow, the Jedi sucked. Oh no, they absolutely sucked. Um, but uh, no, they are a uh, they are a sucky uh, but necessary um, uh, thing in the galaxy uh, to me. And you get the one, like one of one of my biggest problems really with um, the uh, the legend stuff that happened after uh, Return of the Jedi is that the Jedi never really have a reckoning with their flaws. Like, they don't. They get wiped out again in Legacy, and even then they still don't have a reckoning with their flaws. And, um, you know, I mean, we're sitting here joking around, and I'd be like, yeah, the Jedi suck. And, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think they do, but at the same time, like, even the things that are the most critical of the Jedi in Star Wars, which I guess are probably uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2 and probably The Last Jedi and then some parts of the Clone Wars. Um, the, I mean, they still end up in the end. They still end up as pro-Jedi things. Like the last thing Luke says in um, The Last Jedi, you know, he says, and I will not be The Last Jedi. Like, he goes through this thing uh, for, at the beginning where, you know, he's like, the Jedi suck, the Jedi are terrible, um, we were idiots, we did all this wrong, and he's absolutely right about all that. But they have, but they are, in in the universe that Star Wars is created, they are a necessary, um, they are a necessary um, thing, unless you're going to completely abolish the Jedi, which I think would be a very interesting story for them to tell, but one that they will never tell. So like, it's, it's one of those things. It's not like, um, it, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I hate to, I think I've rambled about it enough. Yeah. I hate to all come full circle by mentioning it, but it's sort of like, like Churchill's thing about, you know, democracy is the worst form of government. 
except the other ones that have been tried. And I mean, to the same extent, like, yeah, the Jedi Order are the worst gang of force users in the galaxy, except for literally every other one. Um, I, I think that, you know, I, I think you're right. The Jedi are a necessary institution. I think they're also a flawed one. Um, but I also think the necessity generally outweighs the flaws. And yeah, I, I think that the new, the new public, the new Jedi order series had, had trouble wrestling with that partly because I don't think they had the full awareness of, of what had happened to the old Jedi order yet because revenge of the Sith wasn't out. Um, but the other weakness was that they had too many other flawed institutions to wrestle with. Um, they had the new Republic government sucked. Uh, they, <laughs> Yeah. The, like I think I think uh, Star by Star literally ends with with Borsk Falela just like blowing it all up, literally. Um, and then I hated Borsk. Oh, I hated him, but I, I love to hate him. He was one of those guys that you just love to hate. Man, so, I, like, I, I he, he and Peleon, and I think there were like one or two of the the Yuzan Vong that were just like the actual highlights of the story for me. Yeah. Um, well, no, see, the difference is like, I think Peleon is actually a good character. I think Bart Belia or however his name is said. And believe me, there are, there are some people who come into my mentions occasionally who are very upset that Bothans are not uh, more prominently featured. Um, and they just all happen to be furries. I don't know if those two things are uh, connected in any way, but you know, um, there's that, and then there's the. Um, that was a joke, uh, not a good one, apparently. Um, no, no, I. The, uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I was reading when I was reading one of these where Borsk is introduced for the first time and talked about having a furry snout, and it, <laughs> it that like for the first time I had never actually known what a bothan looked like. Yeah, they look like uh, oh, they look like furries. Yeah, no, no, that's exactly. Yeah, they they all look like people where they they look like. You know, sleek looking fursuits, but they look like fursuits. Oh, yeah. They're I mean, high that's quality furries. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but I mean, I guess but... um, Bothans and say, like, you know, imagine my mom, like, intoning, many furries died to bring us this. <laughs> record, re, re, re record, or re film the uh, original trilogy. Just re-recording that line. Leave everything else alone. <laughs> Just mini furries. George Lucas's last edit to Star Wars. <laughs> this um, man is your friend. You know, for the no, new public. <laughs> I think. I, I think the thing with with Borsk is that he's meant to be like a very sh- not shitty. Well, yeah, shitty character, but he's meant to be like a very uh, like grating character who you know who he's meant to be polarizing and then you know he gets he gets his valiant death in the end where he just like blows up an entire world ship on top of himself um yeah and you're just like wow okay like he just i mean he just wrecks the whole thing for because i guess he he knows he's about to die so he's going to take a bunch of them with him and i guess like if you're going to be kind of shitty, I guess that's the best way to go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it kind of gave the sense that like, look, he's like obviously duplicitous and self-serving, but he needs at least like one glimmering redeeming moment where he actually recognizes his failures. Like Leia arrives at the Imperial palace and she's like, Hey, uh, we got the, like the millennium Falcon over there. You want to peace out with us and like go build a government in exile. And he's like, no, I screwed up. I failed. I yeah. bought this whole war. <laughs> And billions of people are going to die. I'm just going to like detonate this whole building and take out like 
25,000 to use Anvong with <laughs> and that'll be it. It's fine. And, and Leia and Leia's just like, all right. All right. Well, good for you. You have a good one. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go and uh, hang out with my kids. He's like, you do that. It's uh, like a really, like, I don't, it's pro- it probably was not written to be that intentionally awkward, but it's like, it's something where you, you, you read it and you're like, oh God, like you can just feel like the tension in the room where she's like, are you sure? And he's like, no, I'm going to die. Like, you, you don't have to, like, you can atone for your sins. He's like, nope, time to die, baby. <laughs> it's one of those scenes that like I really wish they had been able to film with Carrie Fisher because uh, she would have just nailed it. Yes. Yeah, and uh, and a guy in a fursuit. Yeah. It yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just just uh, Carrie Fisher in a furry in the Imperial Palace. Look, another Sorry, guy in a fursuit. This is Chewbacca, Rachel. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Chewbacca is. I, I, you know, occasionally I I'm sorry to admit that I do watch like footage of people playing. Star Wars Battlefront 2, and one of the guys that I watch the most just constantly refers to the, the Wookiees as furries. <laughs> and and once you hear it, you can awesome. see it. That is awesome. Have you, uh, do you, um, well, it's, it's funny, it's even funnier to think about when you think that, uh, you, you think that um, uh, Ki-Adi Mundi is a, uh, you know, as a furry, he's like, oh, he's like, what about the, what about the attack on the Wookiees? <laughs> in Revenge of the Sith, he's like, what we need to do wife? something about that. And they're like, and they're like, dude, you got to calm down. Like, like we got other problems. He's like, but the Wookiees, <laughs> you don't understand. Uh, Kitty Mundi, what a champ. I do, I do love how the the prequel trilogy, which is hokey and flawed in its own so many ways was able to give us like all these like just great minor characters. I can't remember. A sing- I can't name a single minor character from the sequel trilogy. Babu Frick is right. Oh, come there. on now. What about Babu Frick? I'm sorry. Babu Frick. If you wanted to be remembered, he should have been in a better movie. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man. So what that did was, they That was not Babu Frick's fault. You can't. Like also, Babu Frick got like five minutes before he before Baby Yoda overshadowed him. I think Baby Yoda came before Babu Frick. Babu never had a chance. Never stood. He he never had a chance. In the U.S. Army, who like took Rome on on June fourth, and the next day he got like one day of news headlines out of it, and the next day was D Day. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Mark Clark. I'm a U.S. general. I just f- captured an Axis capital. Uh, you know, I guess I'm going to get some positive coverage of my career for this. Nope. Eisenhower's here. Eisenhower's entered the chat. Well, so I do, um, because I often want to steer it this way, um, want to touch upon what, like, the Yuuzhan Gong is maybe the like the most egregious example that people point to when they're like, well, they clearly couldn't have done like th- this is what they shouldn't have brought over from the expanded universe if they were going to bring some of it over. And there's like a lot like maybe the sequel trilogy should have been Dark Empire stuff. But Yuuzhan Vong like is kind of seen as this like this is the too far extreme for like what you do as a sequel. But what would it have been if the sequel trilogy um, featured an existential threat in that way that was something new and not just the Sith turned Star Destroyers into Death Stars for some reason. Oh my God. 
Oh God! I mean, they—that—that's from—that's from Dark Empire anyway. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's on, not right? even like good Dark Empire, you know. It's just not very good. All of it's good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm my, just so I, I actually thought about this while I was reading the reading the books, and I came down on the fact that I I think there would have been a way to do the Yuuzhan Vong, um, in theory, as as a uh, good ant- film antagonist. Okay, here's okay, but, but here's the thing that we have to understand. Before you can do the Yuuzhan Vong, you have to have a fuckload of setup for the government or governments that exist. Because, like, if the Yuuzhan Vong um, come in at, you know, like, two years after Endor, they just sweep the galaxy. Yeah, you know, like so, you have to have a ton of buildup for that. So, so in order for the, um, in order for for something like the Zombong to work, because they not only in order for an overwhelming force to be interesting, they have to have like a the, the force that they're attacking has to have something behind it, and the New Republic really doesn't, and they don't for a little while in Legends, and uh, I. As I understand it, I don't think they have at all in canon now, like no. B two, where they could where they could uh, rebuff something like that, like 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 the Vong. Um, so I, I think it's I think it's two things. Like I think you like not only do you have to write it well enough and make them more well rounded villains, um, more than just like the sadomasochism thing, like we were talking about, but yeah. you also have to. Um, you have to have like you either have to have a huge Jedi Order or a huge Sith Order that leads the galaxy. That that's what you have to have because the thing that beats the Vong is the, the Jedi is the X factor. Like the New Republic and in, in the Imperial Remnant and everything like that have, um, you know they have great pilots and you know they can figure out ways to to beat them. But like the thing that does it in the end is the Vong. Um, or is the Jedi, you know, that that's just the X Factor. And so if you don't have a lot of Jedi or a lot of Sith or something like that, you know, you're just going to end up with the same problem where right. they just run through the galaxy. So I, I think, I think one thing you mentioned there is the main reason I, my main, the main limiting factor, I think is the sadomasochism. Um, that's yeah, not really yeah, like yeah. Disney movie friendly. And without it, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't really help explain why they are the way they are. There also is the thing, you know, I, uh, since it's late enough on the podcast, I think I'll just mention this out now, that we eventually find out in the book that they aren't like immune to the Force, but they had it stripped from them in the ancient past for a, a sin that they will explain more in the books that I, I don't need to summarize to do justice to. Um, and it would be really hard to capture that dynamic in three movies. You know, if they did it as a TV where you could sort of do the build up that they had for this, where you could have you know the jump the the jump forward twenty five years after Endor with modern the old cast of of you know Mark Hamill and uh, Harrison Ford and and uh, uh, Carrie Fisher sort of playing their roles. There, there, I, I can imagine a circumstance in which they could do a decent job. Um, but I, I just think it. You know, <laughs> It, it, it it's it's just it's abstract it's hypothetical um well it's just that it, it's just that like doing doing something like the long is just doing it well is yeah. so hard like there is 
I just think you have to have you would have to have like two movies of build up or a movie and a half of build up before you even in, before you even introduce them. You know, if that's your trilogy, then you've got uh, you know, that's just. I, you know, it's just you run into the same problem they had with the prequels, where you know the the turning point in the the trilogy is ostensibly about the Clone Wars, and mm-hmm. you only ever see like the first five minutes and the last five minutes of the Clone Wars in the actual movies, um, mm-hmm. and you'd run the risk of of doing the same thing where you spend so much time on build up that in the, if they stuck to the three movie formula, you would see five minutes of Coruscant falling. And five minutes of Coruscant being liberated, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like the the other thing is that, like the Vong, they just they just fuel the like the power creep that's go that was going on, and it really runs into to Luke because you know, like uh, the, the Jedi fighting the Vong, you know, they can take on a couple of them. You know, they could take on like three of them or something like that. And Luke's just out here like throwing like 10 of them around like it's yeah, like it's nothing. And I mean, I get that he's like supposed to be the, you know, the biggest badass in the world. But if he's supposed to be the biggest badass in the world, then, you know, <laughs> you know, why are you only doing this occasionally? Like you yeah, can well, only rely on. You can only rely on, oh, I don't want to attack anyone for so long before you realize that this is like, this is not a war. This is not a war where you like fall back on stuff like that. Because if you do, then you die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think also that, I mean, it, it might have been possible to also reimagine the Yuuzhan Vong slightly differently uh, in a way that makes their sort of like extreme traits uh, less grating. I do think that this is something that only really came to me as I was finishing the series. The main, our main point of contact for like internal Yuuzhan Vong politics is a character named Nam Anor, who is a deceptive guy who acts as like a spy that destabilizes the New Republic before the ahead of the Yuuzhan Vong invasion, and then kind of flits back and forth between the out for himself as he's doing that. I thought that was a terrible window into the Vong society, and the one I really liked more was uh, the guy named Harar who is this priest uh, yeah. uh, believes in all the Yuuzhan Vong stuff, totally on board with the deities. Cause he's a priest, obviously, uh, you know, high ranking uh, worships, the deception goddess, all this stuff, um, you know, spy master, all that. And then he goes to Zanama Sakat and he's like, wait a second, that's all bullshit. And now I have to play a pretty big role in like fixing my entire society which is completely screwed up from top to bottom. Um, And so he goes in the last two books from being like, all right, I'm going to sneak on this ship and see what these, these guys are doing with all these Jedi. uh, Cause they're probably going to screw everything up to being like, okay, these Jedi really are our only hope um, for fixing what's wrong. I thought that was a much more interesting character arc than any of the other, uh, other uh, uh, character arcs in, from the Yuuzhan Vong themselves, with the exception of, of there's a shaper, one of their little bioengineers um, who had a pretty interesting art. But even so, like the idea of a, of a high priest of the Yuuzhan Vong, like suddenly realizing that everything wasn't working out. Uh, and then like, that, I thought that that provided a much more fertile storytelling experience. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, I, I like, I like her. Um, 
at least as far as as they go. And I mean, I think it's I always think it's interesting where you have people who are like, I don't believe, I don't believe, and then they see the thing that should make them believe, mm-hmm. and they actually change, you know, because like a lot of times people are like, oh, you have to show me this, and then they get shown, and and they don't change. But you know, it's like uh, it's like Han because in yeah. the original trilogy he didn't believe in the force at all and then uh lo and behold you know he turns around in uh in the force awakens and and Um, yeah it's true all of it's true and so it's you know it's it's interesting interesting to see that um because he's just uh yeah he's like a holy man and he's like oh yeah wow this this whole thing like is just terrible i can't believe we did this shit yeah it's and I, I will say that you know of the many of the few bright spots in the sequel trilogy for me now, um, that sequence where where you know Harrison Ford is like on the ship with them and and quietly intoning, um, no, yeah, I knew Luke, I I knew Luke back in the day. Mm-hmm. You can almost see like him thinking about like saving him on the Death Star and at Cloud mm-hmm. City and fighting you know on Endor and all that stuff. Like you you can see like the relationship there it really gave a sense that this wasn't just something that they had slapped together for marketing dollars. Uh, but it was also something they were telling a story um, that they were telling like how these characters had grown and evolved and, you know, seeing Han go from movie one being like, Oh, the force is bullshit to, Oh yeah. Force is real light, dark, everything. It's all there. That was great. And I, I think that, the greatest tragedy of, of the sequel trilogy is that they did not have that more moments like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you're only going to get Harrison Ford for one movie anyway. So like that's, you know, I think, I think, I think last time I was on, I, I mentioned that my, my big theory for why one reason why uh, the last film was so terrible was that, that it was really designed around Carrie Fisher and they oh, had to yeah. repair a lot of things because of it. And obviously, like, circumstances of death are very tragic, and that's not really their fault. Um, but I, 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 I do wonder if that movie would have been better if she, if she was still alive. Oh, yeah, I think it absolutely would have been. <laughs> and, I mean, like, the, the thing is that they, they wanted that, uh, that Disney, they wanted to get it out by their deadline. And... Um, which now I guess is funny because uh, it might be the last billion dollar movie ever. Um, yeah. So this is kind of funny that they wanted to get it out by then, but um, but like they were so dead set against even against moving it back even a little, and uh, and so they just had to like cobble together this script. And I mean, like you know, I know I know people wanted you know they they wanted it to be good, and and I understand that, but I just don't like. There, I, I could see no way of that of that movie being good, like but before it before it was going to release because it had too many problems. You know, Carrie Fisher died. Um, the this uh, Colin Trevorrow got moved off of it, so like you're moving with the script and uh, or you have to change scripts and they're building off of Trevorrow's old script. You know, it's just like, what the hell? You know, how how is this ever going to be good? Um, and I don't think it was. I think you're right. So, yeah. 
I guess the question will always be now whether the Yuzan Vong would have been a better path for them to take. And I, I have to say that, you know, after reading through the series, um, after after watching the, the sequel trilogy, I can't say that it would have been definitively worse. Uh, <laughs> but I also can't say that it would have been clearly better. I can't tell if they would have had to change enough things to make it doable. And I, I don't know whether it would have been a viable path forward here. I don't know based on what we have now, how, how things shook out, what the sequel trilogy should have looked like. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it would have been better because I just don't think that type of world building was possible in the time that they were trying to get movies out. And I mean that, you know, that's their own choice, but at the same time, you know, that's a constraint that you have to live with, you know, you have to live with. So it's like, um, uh, you got the uh, get the people who are, um, you know, they're just they're going to get this movie out. So no, I mean, I yeah, I don't think I don't think they could have they could have done the world building. They could have done the background that they needed. And I mean, that's the thing. I think me and Kelsey had talked about it on the show before. But I mean, they can't even do anything like the use on Bong now because I mean, the everything after the sequel trilogy is a completely blank slate. I mean, there's like Ray and you know, whatever, wherever Baby Yoda is, um, you know, that's pretty much what that is. And, you know, there's no New Republic that we know of or anything like that. You know, all these ships got together and, you know, the galaxy seems to be, um, you know, uh, free from the Sith. But at the same time, it's, it's a blank slate. I mean, it's completely blank. There, we don't know what the governments are. We don't know where the people are. We don't know what the Jedi are doing. We don't know if the Sith. I mean, we don't even know if there are. Uh, we we yeah, know. Well, I mean, we know Ray's not there. around there. That's we have no indication of whether she's doing anything new. I, that was that was one of the things that really struck me as well. Not only about this, but when they announced the High Republic, which I'm eagerly awaiting, um, huh. is that I I really don't have any curiosity about what happens next in from for Ray or any. I, I don't either. I have no basis no. to extrapolate what it could be. You know, with Return of the Jedi ends, you have the natural questions about, okay, well, what about the rest of the Empire? What about what they build afterwards? You know, stuff like that, which which authors explored. But I don't know, like, what is left for Ray to do? The Sith are ostensibly extinct. Um, no one's ever really gone, Matt. No one's <laughs> ever really gone. Well, true. Especially if you've got like you know what's funny. You know what's funny to, to to look back on that line and now like contextualize it, and you're like, oh, Luke's talking about the Sith Eternal. He's talking about Palpatine. You know, it's like, no, oh, dear God. Hmm. Um, I wish you hadn't said that. I was so much happier before I knew that. No, now now you have knots <laughs> in your head. You can't oh. you can't not think about it. It's like the reason uh, the reason that there's like an age requirement for Jedi. Um, you know, they don't train anybody over a certain age. Just that uh, Yoda says that Luke is too old in Empire to train; he's too old. Yeah, I mean that may not that may not be the uh, exact reason, but uh, I bet that I bet that it's a close proximity. Well, I mean, you know, you, in fairness to Yoda, if you had literally just seen everything you'd spent nine hundred years working for collapsed by some angsty teenager, uh, you would probably be a little more in favor of age limits as well. Well, I mean, maybe, but, you know, my thing with Yoda there is that, like, regardless of how much you love the Jedi, 
Yoda is the worst guy at his job ever. Like, the worst. There is nobody worse at their job in history than Yoda. Because he, because the prequels, yes, they show him to be powerful, they show him to be, you know, awesome, he's doing these flips and everything, but he works with the most powerful Sith Lord in the galaxy, probably the most powerful Sith Lord to ever live. Hmm. He works with that guy for 20 years and has no fucking clue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of... You know, I go back and forth on whether or not it would have been would have made more sense for Sith for Palpatine to not be a Sith Lord. I, I mean, I don't know. I think that was I think it was uh, baked in by that point. Like, I don't think uh, like uh, when the Sith were set up as an analog to the Jedi, with like or not an analog as a uh, an opposite to the Jedi. And you know, there are a couple of lines about it. Um, I think I think the the die the die was cast at that point, um, long before the prequels even came out. Well, yeah, I mean the die is cast in in Empire Strikes Back when he appears on the screen. Is like, oh, I sense a disturbance of the Force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in the original film is not mentioned to have any like powers or anything. As for all we know, like Darth Vader is literally the only dude roaming around doing this stuff. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think I think me and Kelsey were talking. Um, we were like on Twitter and uh, you know somebody said like well you know this kind of makes the line that Tarkin says about you being the last you know Vader's the last of his uh, kind the last of uh, the religious um, you know the, his old religion um, it kind of makes it you know false and I was like well yeah I mean every everything in A New Hope is basically an anachronism because the entire the entire uh universe changed after uh when empire strikes back came out because it you know it, it it took it to the you know um father and son thing and um you know like you said it, it does uh it presents palpatine or the emperor as this force user and um but but like everything in a new hope now is basically like uh you know like you just kind of like contextualize it out out of hand like everyone in a new hope is an unreliable narrator just because of everything that happened after it it changed you know it changed the whole the whole way the the series was treated at that point so well, they did they did fix the tarkin line because it's revealed in the in the in the canon book and i think it's hinted to in in clone wars uh tarkin knows darth vader with anakin skywalker yeah yeah well i mean yeah i think it was just you know something about the Inquisitors being alive in the in the animated series Rebels it was like oh yeah that's right those guys too yeah it's it's I take yeah it's like them. you know it's like yeah I mean on the one hand I understand why Star Wars fans do it because the, that's what the Star Wars universe is that's what um that's how it operates there's an explanation for everything that ever happens um the you know from the biggest to the smallest stuff and. So people want to be like, well, you know, Tarkin, uh, you know, why wasn't he thinking about this? And it's like, well, if you describe all the member, like the final members of, you know, like an order that existed hundreds of years ago, and you're like, yep, you're the only one left. You don't, you, you don't say like asterisk, well, except for that other guy and that other guy and this guy and this person over here, you know, like it. That's not that's not how people talk, and it's just, I don't know. It's just 
the the like express literalness that Star Wars fans take from the what is said is always funny to me. Hello. 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 <laughs> I guess I just, Hello there. I guess I just talk everybody to sleep. Hello there. No, no, we are in deep <laughs> contemplation. Of course. No, I just like I don't know. I like I, I have I have a lot I have a lot of time to think about this shit. So like you know I just sit here and think about like you know why people do things like that and I just I don't I don't get it. So I am wondering, right? Because the next, um, we know that the next, uh, I guess, filmed Star Wars on the horizon, in theory, they're still doing it, is uh, season two of The Mandalorian. Um, and one thing's right. So yeah, I, that's uh, already been, uh, that's already been recorded, or oh, uh, not recorded. That's already been um, filmed. The production wrap. And yeah, yeah, it's already yeah, been filmed. So that's been, that's been uh, coming out in October, I think. Yeah. But there's also a movie coming from, uh, I believe they announced this on, on May the 4th this year, uh, from, who's the guy who did Thor Ragnarok? Oh, Taika Waititi. Oh, uh, Taika Waititi. Yeah, he's, he's got a, a live action film coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they have a lot of, um, they have a lot of live action films um, that they've talked about, but they've so far only confirmed three, and there are three unnamed films 21 in 2022 one in 2024 and 2026 i believe um and we have no idea what they're going to be um but but yeah um i think the mandalorian is like the last thing that was filmed pretty much was like the last thing it was filmed and and it, and it uh the filming wrapped on it like a few like a week or so before everything kind of shut down Yes, before the dark time. So we talked about this uh, a little bit on our Rebels episode. I don't want to veer veer too far afield here, but one of the things uh, that I thought was really interesting that Rebels did, which is it took um, a lot and like particularly Thrawn, but also like interdictor cruisers and stuff that was like had been beloved, fleshed out parts of the expanded universe, and it like shoved it into a different time to explore and while i'm not saying that i expect um the yuzong gong to ever show up in any form at all i would be curious to see if we get some of the world building or the characterization or sort of that look into what is the republic like pre-force awakens um thrown into the next season of uh the mandalorian But, I mean, I mean, that's, you know, uh, it would sort of be, you know, I, I don't know how much the opportunity they'll have to do with the Mandalorian. I know they've confirmed that Ahsoka is uh, coming back. I, I would like a film on screen explanation for what the hell some of the things that they alluded to in the sequel trilogy were. Uh, and maybe in sort of a repair fashion, but even like, I would love to know how widely known it was that Luke was building a new Jedi Order. Uh, and I would not very far along that got in in sort of, like was it as far along as we saw it in the Yuuzhan Vong War? Um, no, not at all. Not even close. Um, I mean, I, and the other I thing think... I would like to know is you know, I know this is probably explained elsewhere, but they really need to sort of explain what the hell the Knights of Ren were. 
Well, see, they, they've already they've already explained the Knights of Ren and um, a little bit about Luke's Jedi Order. Like it was very um, small uh, when when Ben destroyed it or semi destroyed it or whatever they say in the books or in the comics. Um, and the Knights of Ren are just like these like semi force sensitive weirdos who follow around like a more powerful uh, force sensitive who takes the title Ren. Um, and I mean, that's basically what they are. Like wow. they dress up in masks. Yeah. It's not anything special at all. Um, and the new, and Luke's new Jedi, no, it wasn't anywhere close to what, what, uh, what was in the, uh, the new Republic or, or what was in, uh, legends like there, he had like some like teenage, uh, force users in there. Um, but like they they hadn't even really begun to you know introduce like oh this is a random Jedi that hit out on um, you know this world for forty years you know for twenty years or whatever thirty years um, you know like they did with um, with some of the older Jedi in uh, in um, in Legends you know the older Jedi who popped up like. Uh, Oh, shit. Well, there was, uh, there was the crit. There was the dude on on Yavin. Yeah, and uh, like Cam Solasar, like like and Tio and Solasar. They, I don't remember if they're in the bombs. They were all, but, uh, or something. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were some before. Um, yeah, yeah, and I mean, like they're he he like you know built built up this Jedi Order around like uh, older Jedi who had survived uh, Order sixty six and the Clone War. You know everything like that and but they never really begin to introduce that in uh in the new canon yet hmm. in terms of elements from the yuzan vong that i think would be good to apply to the current canon i i think that and this is something that sort of comes from high republic um i think that they, they the idea of an extra galactic invasion would be interesting to explore not in like star wars future post yavin but in some sort of primordial old Republic style past that explains how the galaxy got united and how it became sort of the way it was. Um, The idea that you had this immense galactic trauma in the past, and that led to, I think 10,000 years of peace is is what it is now. Um, Some sort of like, you know, binding point in the origins. I think that might be more interesting. Um, Something along yeah. the lines of like the tales of the Jedi that they used to have in the comics back in the nineties, uh, that explore, yeah, think... you know, Ulrich Heldroma and and Nomi Sunrider and Frida Nad and Xar Kun and all those those cool cats. Um, I, I think the, I think the idea of an extra galactic invasion would would be viable in canon there, but I, I don't see any way to do it now with what they've built. I think I think the like. So the, the only issue with that is that um, it's really been set up uh, that the Sith, um, like the Sith and the Jedi, like have been fighting back and forth. And that's kind of like what it's, uh, you know, what, what the old Republic has been set up by. I think it would be interesting if they did something like that with an extra uh, galactic species coming in, except they already they already have one um, that shows up in the new Thrawn uh, books called the Grisk. Um, and they are... Oh God, I totally s- forgot about them. Sort of... I thought they were just from the Unknown Regions. Uh, well, 
it, they're not like I mean I think they're I think they're just meant to be like a uh, an allusion to the Vaughn. Like I don't know that they're actually going to get used, but um, I think I think Thrawn um, says that that they think they're extra galactic. Like they don't know a lot about them, um, and you know they just kind of get hinted at here and there. Um, so I, I think if they were going to do something like that, they could you know they they could kind of do it where if they just like compartmentalized it over to the Chiss and like the Chiss fought them off and something, you know, like, I mean, I, would, I guess they could do it that way, but yeah. I mean, like the, like the way everything's set up right now, I like it, it's going to be very difficult for them to be able to do that anytime soon without a lot of world building past the rise of Skywalker. And I don't know how much, if any world building we're actually going to get that, get from that time period. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. I mean, I think the Tron has another. I think Timothy Zahn has another trilogy coming out in September, starting in September. Yeah, he does. Uh, so hopefully, we'll get to see some of it there. But if not, I mean, I, I guess that this is kind of just an, a part of Star Wars will always just be its own thing. I mean, I think it's just one of those things that we kind of start. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't hate the long. You know, like I just, they just seem like a weird relic. Um, a weird relic of Star Wars Legends to me, like something where they tried to do this extra galactic threat and a little bit of it worked and a lot of it was like awkward and weird. Um, and they just have the, uh, it, it just felt like they're, you know, just felt like they were trying to do this whole big thing with it. And now they, it's just kind of like, you look back and you're like, well, yeah, that's the Vaughn, like uh, how you look back and you say, you know, like uh, that's the uh, the Lost Tribe of the Sith or, um, you know, like Darth Bane or something. You're like, yep, that, that's what that thing is. It's just sort of something that was there and the way that they treated it at that point was, you know, very, very EU, very early 2000s legends, I guess is a really good way to say it. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly has a sort of fixed time and place aura to it um, that couldn't be replicated again. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I well, agree. Well, I think that's probably about as good a place as any. Um, there's obviously a vast world of Yuzong Vong out there. I think it's like 19 novels or something, the the Wikipedia lists. Uh, it's oh, yeah. massive. <laughs> um, it's Massive. They list named battles, and just on named battles alone, there's over 250 of them that take place in the Yuzong Vong War, which is a definitely a cool and manageable thing, and not at all um, exhausting to read. Um, but um, I think that <laughs> that covers our, our episode for for today. Matt, is there anything you want to plug before we wrap up? Um, not not particularly. Um, but uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, I look forward to, to hopefully, you know, doing this again. Absolutely. There will be more Thrawn novels and there will definitely be more time for you to jump back <laughs> on board as we stumble through the canon and not quite canon of Star Wars. Um, so thank you all for listening to this episode of A People's History of the Old Republic. Next time we will probably be diving into battles, historic and canonical in Star Wars. If you have a 
good analogy about a Star Wars battle and a historical battle, you can send it our way. We are on Twitter at PhotorPod, and you can email us at photorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also send us questions and comments, and we will answer them on the show. All right, I'm African TV on Twitter. You can find that at, at Fort M on Twitter and Luke. Now, Matt, Luke is amazing. Thank you very much. I made it for us to be with you. <laughs>